Hi, this is Chef Ranveer Brar. I cook for a living and I hope you've seen me cooking and I hope you've cooked some of my food in your kitchen. And I'm very excited to be talking, not cooking, on Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Yeah. My name is Abhay Dandekar, and I share conversations with talented and interesting individuals linked to the global Indian and South Asian community. It's informal and informative, adding insights to our evolving cultural expressions, where each person can proudly say, trust me, I know what I'm doing. Hello, everyone. And on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, a warm welcome to chef, restaurateur, artist, and judge on MasterChef India, Ranveer Brar. Stay tuned. So it's become more and more obvious to me that art and the capacity to create something is just inherently present in all of us. And it's not just the presence, but in many ways, activating it is a vital expression of our soul, critical to making human connection and building trust. And speaking of trust, thank you so much for listening to this and sharing it with your friends and family, for kindly reviewing and rating it, and for following us on social media at Dr. Abhaydandikar. Now, artistic expression has many, many vehicles and tentacles to our own identity. So for someone like Ranveer Brar, this is an ongoing path of experience and continual discovery. Ranveer is a celebrated chef, restaurateur, author, actor, and judge on MasterChef India. And while the currency that he deals with often is food, the marketplace of his diverse artistic expression is filled with introspection, storytelling, vulnerability, innovation, and tradition. He's from Lucknow, and in a sense, grew up cooking in the kitchen during langar at his local Gurudwara. At 25, Ranvir was an executive chef at a five-star hotel and has since opened and curated restaurant experiences all over the world. But perhaps the scale of his talent has been magnified by his incredible media popularity, cooking on YouTube and Twitter with millions of followers, serving as a judge on MasterChef India, and finding novel ways to connect with audiences through his constant culinary quest. Ranveer has dealt with the twisting journey of career and life with a healthy playfulness and by communicating through his art in a variety of venues, as an author, a painter, as a sustainable food ambassador, and even recently as an actor. We caught up for a conversation to chat about his experiences with food, nostalgia, parenting, and much, much more. But you know, since it's something that's always on my mind, I needed to start off quite appropriately. Of course, talking about mangoes. I'm rather envious and jealous because you're likely in the peak of mango season right now. And uh, hopefully you're enjoying it on all of our behalf. Here in California, we don't quite have a mango season. So I have to ask you because I, I've been reading your blog. So is it, uh, is it Kohitur or is it Hapus? No, it is. It has to be hapus. It has to be hapus. I'm so glad to hear you say that. Um, <laughs> you know, you know, for some people though, they're they're so rigorously loyal to the fruits of their region and their varieties. And in in some ways, is it fair to make a a judgment like that? I mean, of course, I'm quite loyal to hapus, but you know, is it is it fair to do that? No, I think. See, there's a reason why a certain variety uh, grows in a certain area. And I always and I always say that you know, um, food is a very small uh, subset of a much bigger ecosystem, and uh, yeah, and I think that basically uh, is it. Uh, you know, whatever uh, you know grows together goes together. So if it's growing in your area, right. it's good for you. Exactly. I have to ask you one thing now because you know, if you think about it in that way, 
mangoes is just a, a proxy for things that are so specific, so seasonal, so local. And I know that you're such an advocate of things being seasonal and local when you eat them. Does this, you know, for those who are at the scale of success that you are, does this create sort of a tension with trying to scale food widely or even create a brand when specific things are only available in specific times of the year? I think it does, but then that's the whole point of it. You know, the whole point is you're always also contradicting yourself, uh, you know, by by trying to uh, say something and do something else. And sometimes, sometimes seasonality really tests your scalability, mm. right? Yeah. And uh, and uh, you gotta you gotta make a choice. And I think with age, you tend to turn more towards seasonality than scalability. But you're right. I think it's just, uh, you know, uh, it's just how it is. I, if I'm craving a Chiku ice cream or a Chiku flavor, I, I could dial up Amazon or go to a, a frozen section and, and buy some. Yet it's not really in season. And I'm sure there, there are hundreds and dozens of foods that are similar in that way. Yet, if you're trying to scale a brand and sort of bring that to a mass market, I wonder if that's a that's sounds like it's a dilemma, but it sounds like it is what it is. Yeah, no, it is what it is, and I think it's also for the audience to accept it is what it is and appreciate it more. We 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 very often talk about responsibility, and we talk about <laughs> we talk about uh, how it's so important to be responsible towards the environment. There is no future without that responsibility. And yet we want to have uh, mangoes 12 months a year, watermelon 12 months a year. Right. So uh, that's not being responsible towards the environment because, you know, if it is meant to uh, grow without stressing the ecosystem, it would have grown. Yeah. Anytime you grow it off season or where it is not supposed to grow, you're stressing the ecosystem. And in times where ecological responsibility is a big part of our conversation, yeah. I think it just it is important uh, that we stick to stick to seasonality, regionality, hyper locality, and uh, the consumers will get it. And, and hopefully, it requires ambassadorship from people like you, right, to to set the example of that and. And in some ways, kind of steer the audiences and steer the consumer in the right way. Um, yeah, I think it's happening everywhere. I, you know, uh, see, the thing is, uh, ambassadors, and and I, I am an ambassador for a lot of brands and a lot yeah. of places. But the thing is, uh, the moment you get into ambassadorship, you're you're getting into the marketing tonality, right? Right. And now, now you're marketing being ecologically responsible. So you basically, you're basically playing the same game that, that you were playing a, a few years ago when you were marketing mangoes 12 months a year. So I think that the tool, the vehicle needs to be different. Mm. You know, We might call it cause marketing and not product marketing. And that's why it's different because you're marketing a cause and you're ambassador to a cause and you're not an ambassador to a product. But I think, uh, but I think still uh, in, in, in the place where we are, in times where we are, we need to sort of move beyond marketing to have people actually connect to a cause rather than just buy into a cause. Mm. Uh, yeah, that's a good way to put it. Speaking of having chiku and mango and other things 12 months out of the year, you, you know, a lot of that is governed in some ways by nostalgia and 
for so many people that becomes a, a driver and accelerator to what they do. I, I'm curious for you, how, how much personally does nostalgia kind of govern your work or drive your work for that matter? I think, I think food is primarily nostalgia. You know, a lot of what we do is dial into our nostalgia or dial into what we think our consumers nostalgia is and 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 sort of bring that out uh, in conversation or through our food mm. uh, and it's for the for the simple reason i think especially as indians you know yeah uh, we we have every meal thrice right when we wake up we we we, we sort of talk about what we're going to eat <laughs> that's the first time we have it yeah right and the second time is when we actually eat it yeah. And the third time is when we talk about it to our friends. You know, we right. make it a point that we talk about it to our friends saying, hey, you know what? I had this amazing sushi today and it was, it was really nice or whatever it was. So I think, uh, you know, as Indians, we are driven by, by nostalgia when it comes to our eating habits. We like to talk about uh, food sticks for longer for us. Mm. We connect food to a lot more than just the food itself. The mm. occasion, who we were, the weather, the climate the uh, festival and so on and so forth yeah there are many hooks that our food hangs on and you know and uh, a, a morsel for an indian triggers a lot more memories uh, than a lot of other cultures and in that same spirit if the morsel is triggering so much and we hang on to it right based on the festival based on the time based on the company based on the the chef you know, if we if we think about it that way, does the nostalgia ever then become ever a barrier to exploration and testing and blending new themes into creating new nostalgia? Mm, I think there is, you're right, there is a fine balance between being conservative and being nostalgic. What I've realized is, most most of the nostalgia that we dial into or that I experience uh, people uh, speaking about are usually very positive and very... Uh, we are always chasing moments and memories that were positive, that made a positive impact, that were happy moments, happy memories. So, uh, you know, by nature, I don't see those happy memories becoming hindrances to making you more stuck up. Uh, so I think by nature, food nostalgia allows you uh, to explore. By nature, what it sort of brings back is happiness and positivity. And if you want to stick on to happiness and positivity, you'd never be seen as stuck up. You'd probably... You're uh, probably always yeah. pushing the envelope forward and, yeah. and making new things. You, you mentioned the balance of that, right? Between tradition and say innovation. And is that something that as you've grown and developed and have evolved as a professional, is that something you've had to practice in some ways to um, find that balance even more? Uh, yeah, I think it's it's 30% practice, 70% experience. Mm. You know, you also have to sort of let life come to you for you to develop your balance between how much of tradition, how much of innovation. Like in any profession, I, I always say we are all artists, yeah. even when we are in, you know, I, I see that I'm talking about your field. I see uh, younger doctors relying more on um, prescriptions 
Yeah. And as doctors grow older, the the number of medicines on the prescription go less. You're right. Yeah. Uh, they rely more on on uh, you know uh, on on natural healing and say you know what, we just your your kid's gonna be fine. Just go. You know, don't just come here for for me to fill up your paper because you're paying me for it. I think, uh, and I think that's what happens as we experience life. We also, yeah. uh, it through our medium, you know, medicine's your medium, food is mine. Yeah. Um, we learn, we learn that there, you know, we learn where is our line between relying on traditional versus relying on what we have learned and how much we've learned. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, We'll come back to our conversation with Chef Ranveer Brar. Stay tuned. Conversation. It's the antidote to apathy and the catalyst for relationships. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and I share conversations with global Indians and South Asians, so everyone can say, trust me, I know what I'm doing. New episodes weekly, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Hi, this is Madhuri Dixit and you are listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing with Abhay Dandekar. Welcome back to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin our conversation now with Chef Ranveer Brar. Let me ask you this. I mean, in that same vein, you mentioned the blend between and and I think you're right, right? As you mature, the experience part certainly takes over and you hopefully rely on, on less of the prescriptive things. Um, true. If I had to now take you back to being a 25-year-old and an executive chef of a five-star hotel, what perhaps do you miss about those days? What perhaps are, are some of the things that do you feel like during those times that you were perhaps able to take more risks or were there thing elements about that time in your life that perhaps you miss now i think the for me um um the ability to fearlessly invest myself emotionally mm. um into people yeah into uh, myself into causes into my profession i think that that you are after a point in time with a certain age you don't really uh, you become a little more mechanical yeah uh, and uh, you know you investing yourself emotionally into uh, something yeah is not as you're not ag- as aggressively out there looking to get hurt let me put it like that uh, as you are but i think i miss that yeah i miss that i think you draw a lot from those moments of both success and failure when you've invested yourself deeply and emotionally into something that you strongly believe in or people that you strongly believe in did did that by the way ever come out in the in the product when you're you, do you see what i'm saying where the, the the food perhaps was also reflection of that investment in the people and the engagement so to speak it does it does i think food's an expression of what's going on inside you anyways. Yeah. Now, when, as you've developed the experience, I have to tell you something. I, I read about some of the things that you were writing, uh, particularly about your own hierarchy of self-actualization. 
And I love that, the, the relating it to Maslow and the pyramid and, you know, where the chef starts with the foundation of taste and, and then helps, you know, create that flavor and the texture and appearance and aroma, while the diner experiences this, of course, in the opposite manner. And I thought that was such an elegant way to, to put things. I, I wanted to ask you something related to that in that, is this kind of cycle at all symbolic of your own career as an artist, where you're trying to reach that pinnacle of self-actualization by perhaps even diversifying the visuals and the emotions and the textures and the appearances um, that you're creating? Yeah, no, I think it is. I think, you know, the reason I love um, Maslow's theory is because it, di- again, I'm, I'm using this word very often, but it does dial into the most basic precinct to being human. What does it mean to be human, right? Yeah. And if you are an artist who believes in expressing themselves, I mean, you are always trying to be uh, as close to yourself as possible, as close to being human as possible. Your expression, uh, you're always trying to make your expression connect to the uh, connect to people. Mm. So, uh, it, so, so that's why you just inherently gravitate towards something like a Maslow's theory. I personally believe that a lot of a lot of the lower stages are about defining yourself as an artist, as somebody who likes to express themselves. Uh, the upper stages are then about expressing that definition mm. and ultimately finding that definition through other people. Yeah. And I think that uh, is true for any form of art, whether it's music or dance or, um, you know, or, or cooking. Anything. Yeah. I think eventually you're looking to, you're looking to find your, your, yourself in, in other people around you. Yeah. Through, through your expression. When you have noticed in your career where there have been bumps in the road or failures or steps back, is it harder to find the company of others around you? And is that maybe a, a reason why it's perhaps more challenging during those times? As you mentioned, that if the success is finding the you know, sort of freedom and sharing that expression with others, then perhaps the, the bumps in the road and the failures are when you can't find that other person to share it with. Yeah, I, I somehow, for, for, for some reason, a part of, I, I agree to a part of it. Yeah. But I also very strongly believe that most of the answers are usually within ourselves. Yeah. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, the world behaves with us the way we behave with ourselves. The, the world is a manifestation of, of our internal conversation. I very strongly believed in that. And, uh, you know, and I think usually realigning your internal conversations allows you to realign with how you look at the world and similarly how the world eventually that determines how the world looks at you. So I think that for me is a bigger factor mm. uh, in moments of success or in moments of failure. Uh, you know, you need to realign your internal conversations uh, first. Uh, and I, yes, I truly believe that the quality of our life is directly proportional to the quality of relationships that we have with people. So, uh, you know, that also is something that you need to be able to align. You know, I have this, I have this shortcut. 
uh, every time I'm I'm feeling like you know like things are not working out, I just pick up the phone, call anybody, any friend, and just check on how they're doing without even mentioning what's going on in my life. Just just check on how they're doing. Just just have a chat with them purely about them and not me. And uh, it usually works because it just sometimes uh, you know it just uh, you just get your answers through other people. Is that is that nourishing in some ways for you? Is it is it replenishing? It is. It is. Uh, I think. I think. See what what happens is sometimes you're very when you're way inwards, uh, you also can just start worrying about things that you shouldn't really be worrying worrying about. Yeah. And I, I, I refuse to believe that any artist who's sort of, who's really expressed themselves in their art, yeah, uh, is not an introvert, mm. is not uh, somebody who who is continuously having conversation with himself. What you eventually see is probably five percent of, of what is going on inside. Yeah. Uh, so I think a lot of times when you, as an artist. There's a lot that's going on inside. You tend to get borderline self-obsessed, yeah. where your problems seem to seem to seem bigger, and hence it's just sometimes to shake off uh, that internal conversation. It's just important to call somebody and say, "Hey, how are you doing? Tell me about you." But you know, I'm curious: do other people around you have to sometimes remind you of that? Do you? Uh, because we can sometimes have so many blind spots with this. Are there yeah. reminders that you have to have in place so that you can be, you know, keenly aware of that, um, that it is time for mm-hmm. you to look outwards and, and seek out that company? I think it's it's uh, not huge reminders, but there are these signals that you usually get, uh, you know, and the signals are, the first signals come from your parents. I always say, uh, you know, if, if you see tension with your parents, is the first sign that something's wrong inside of you. Uh, you know, if it is not, uh, if there is a lot of unsaid between you and the parents, eventually I believe that's the real source um, for all of us. That's our genesis. Yeah. Uh, and eventually that relationship is the first one. I, I wonder if that's the ultimate sign of cultivating trust then for yourself, right? That the skills that you develop and the people who trust you probably are mirroring that amount of self-trust and self-confidence that you can do that. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I'm so absolutely. struck by how versed of a, of a communicator you are. And, and that, of course, comes across in, in so many dimensions. You know, as a guide, as a teacher, as a, as a master communicator, does it feel, especially in the food arena, does it feel more gratifying to simplify a very complex recipe or help make a simple food creation taste very complex? For me, um, again, I think it's that age and stage thing that we spoke about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where I am right now, uh, it's extremely gratifying to simplify something that people see as complicated. Sure. Um, I think you're um, eventually, because people connect to simple things for a longer period of time, yeah. they form relationships uh, with 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 simpler things. Uh, they are awed 
buy complex things, but mm. then that's about it. Yeah. Uh, that's not a relationship. That's just sort of a momentary um, uh, gasp. Yeah. Uh, and and I and I think uh, yeah. And I think uh, for me, where I am um, after spending so many years in 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 this profession, it's important that people can. For me, it is important that people connect. Yeah. To the medium that I am connected to. That's my service to the medium. And in that same vein, in making the complex more simplified, elegantly for that matter, has that made you a better storyteller in that way? It does. It does. You know, sometimes sometimes what you can't really express with a lot of words, just a small anecdote sort of does it. Yeah. So when the your objective is clear, your objective is to 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 find a connection uh, with food. And then you choose all ways, forms, and manners. Sometimes it's a recipe. Sometimes it's a story. Sometimes it's yeah. an anecdote. Sometimes it's a memory. Sometimes, you know, uh, yeah. The objective is to simplify, and you use all the tools that you have. And and has this always come naturally to you, or was this something that perhaps uh, became a skill or even a surprise as you as you kind of cultivated this over your career? Um, I really haven't given much thought to it. Uh, you know, I, the kind of person that I am, I really, um, I am, I try and be very much in the moment. Yeah. The very next moment, I just might be completely detached from the moment sure. earlier. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I, I try and sort of be a hundred percent in the moment and it's good to look back and say, I've always had it and I didn't know it. And, you know, the storyteller was always a part of me. Uh, but I just believe that, you know, I sitting here, I'm a sum total of my life experiences, my learnings and failures. And sure. Yeah. And I think, yeah, I can't put a structure to it really. Well, you know, I and, don't want to, it just takes away the fun of it. <laughs> well, and you're right. I wonder if like the whole, uh, the whole premise is the spontaneity and being authentic in the moment. And it sort of comes to you. You're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. After a quick break, we'll come back to our conversation with Chef Ranveer Brar. Stay tuned. Every story told is a lesson learned, and every lesson learned is a story waiting to be told. I'm Abhay Dandekar, and I share conversations with global Indians and South Asians so everyone can say, trust me, I know what I'm doing. New episodes weekly, wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Lily Singh, and you're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Hey everyone, I'm Abhay Dandekar, and you're listening to Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing. Let's rejoin now our conversation with Chef Ranveer Brar. Speaking of that, if I'm like most other people, I imagine that everyone goes through this, so I'm going to ask if you go through this, but do you actually ever get bored of your own cooking? I do. I do all the time. I do all the time. So actually, you know, that's one of the reasons why I could, I don't see myself cooking in the same restaurant over and over again because mm. I just get bored. Yeah. Uh, I just get, you know, uh, and, and people who come back for the same dish, they will never get the same dish from me because every time I cook, I try and better myself. I try and change the recipe yes uh, you know do a little bit 
you know, I try and be in the moment and every moment's not the same. So, so you know, consistency becomes a huge issue for me. Sure. Because I get bored very, very fast. Is that why AI can't uh, replace you? <laughs> That's a good one. Uh, I don't know if AI can replace me, but uh, but AI is cool, let me tell you that. <laughs> you know, I'm... <laughs> Yeah. Well, I'm interested in that, you know, you mentioned that the consistency is difficult and yet it puts so many contours around who you are. And then also, of course, what your food is like. And you have mentioned the word artist so many times and, you know, you're an author, you're an actor, you've made your your acting debut this past fall in Modern Love Mumbai. And, and I'm curious what acting has taught you about your relationship with food. See, actually, um, after a point in time, food is is just a self-expression, right? It's just how you express yourself uh, to the world. And uh, if you if you allow yourself to get enriched, your expression gets enriched. And for me, the acting stint allowed me to get enriched because it just uh, made me live the life of somebody else, think like somebody else, feel like somebody else. Yeah. Allowed me to be a more vulnerable, uh, um, you know, and there is no bigger teacher like vulnerability. Yeah. Especially for an artist. The day you stop getting hurt, you stop getting touched, moved and inspired. So I think uh, that's what acting does to me. It allows me to, to be vulnerable. It allows yeah. me to experience emotions through the prism of somebody else while there is a little bit of me in, in it at the same time sometimes just observing from a distance sometimes trying to trying to be a part of the situation is that a you know that kind of you zoom out and then zoom back in that uh, observing from a distance and then also kind of dissecting a personality and trying to get into a character like that is that a kind of empathy or a vulnerability that you have to jump into that you can't get in the artistry of food? No, um, I think I think it just makes you a better person. Um, see, when you're into food, you know, you're, you're always touching a medium. You're always, it's about you and a certain medium. Yeah. And sometimes, sometimes that relationship with food starts triggering emotions that are the same so so it also becomes predictable right so every time you touch touch food if you're feeling the same way over and over again if there are no more contours if there are no more undercurrents of emotions that are being triggered they then the expression is going to become repetitive yeah so uh, and just to i think it for me it's great to get into acting do that and just just come back with a newer set of emotions that get triggered. A fresh set of eyes, almost. Yeah, a fresh set of eyes. I, I'm curious, thinking about empathy and thinking about a fresh set of eyes, as a devoted father, and of course, so much of the food experience being one of kind of sharing nourishment and, and also in service uh, as a parent, I, I'm so curious how parenting has at all changed your view of cooking or even, for that matter, actually even judging on MasterChef India? Um, see, judging is, is very different, right? 
what I've realized is that, you know, um, is that you can't leave people, you can't leave people thinking what was wrong. Why were they, why were, why did they not move ahead? Right. Right. That's unfair. Uh, in judging, sometimes you just have to say things as they are yeah. for people to clearly get it, you know, which is, which can be borderline rude, which can seem borderline rude at that point in time. But then that's a role that you got to play yeah. uh, there. Uh, it's not the same as cooking. You know, your, your headspace as a cook is very different from your headspace as a judge. Yeah. I often say when I, when I sort of, uh, you know, if when I'm not wearing the judge's hat, uh, I enjoy a simple, I'd enjoy a simple dal. Mm. I'd enjoy simple food because when you're, when you're, when you're eating, uh, without, without the, ju- without judgment, you see intent, you see how, how much love they put into it. Yeah. But when you're, uh, when you're eating your own food, you start judging it because yeah. you're here to make yourself better. Every time you cook, you want to make yourself better. You realize, no, a little bit here, a little bit there. Yeah. So every time I judge MasterChef India, I'm, I, it's like I'm tasting my own food. Yeah. You know, and that's the switch that happens. And, and, and has being a father made me a better cook? Yes, it has. Because, uh, like I said, it, it, it's a different emotion that, that you that you experience, mm. which you've never. So if you haven't experienced it, it will not come in your food. So yes, it, it, it has made me a better chef. Has it made me a better judge? I don't know. I, I, I yes, I, there is a, there, there is a lot more empathy, but would I, would I uh, be vague and just be empathetic to, uh, to, to you and tell you that you're no longer on the show? Right. Or would I rather uh, be clear to you and tell you that's why you're no longer on the show? So I think it's, I, I think the roles are different and it's a very tricky, very thin line to walk. Well, that was a very, that was a very uh, well put answer. So <laughs> your, your parenting skills are obviously fantastic so far. Your art and your professional profile and your videos that are celebrated and played worldwide, right? Have brought uh, a superb, you know, just an element of celebrity that's a part of it, right? And it's, it's constantly on display. And it's shared, and it you know it goes viral, and there's uh, you know it's, it's popular um, out there. Yet, how much of you is still finding a private safety and a sanctuary and a connection, perhaps to the Gurudwara kitchen? You know, in your mind, as your I believe your father affectionately very much put it, are you, are you still a, a langri? Mm-hmm. No, so I, uh, I'm still very, I'd like to think that I'm spiritual. Uh, you know, I, I like to think that I'm spiritual. I'd like to, um, I'd like to believe that, 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 that God has a plan for everyone. Yeah. And I'd like to, I'd like to surrender and leave things to the higher power. Um, am I able to invest more time cooking in the Gurdwara as much as I'd like? No. Yeah. Uh, do I meditate? Do I pray as much as I, as I was when I, when I was a kid? Uh, I'd like to think I do, uh, you know, uh, it's more gratitude than, you know, the, the, the 17 year old uh, or the 16 year old would ask more or the 46 year old thanks more. 
I think, but I try and spend spend uh, as much time uh, nourishing or at least at least keeping the spiritual side of me alive and kicking. Uh, I think it's very important. That's that's a part of my value system. Let me ask you this: in in your head, when there are you're in times of frustration or struggle or these are you know the challenges that you're working through the problems that you're trying to solve in, in your head reverting back to being that gurudwara cook that sanctuary that that place where you found so much joy perhaps is that a is that a safe haven so that you can sort of be in the headspace to be able to tackle the problems and the and the sort of difficult uh, challenges that are out there no it's but definitely a source of strength yeah it's definitely a source of strength uh it is definitely sometimes you, i think all of us in life need to tell ourselves hey you know what i still got it yeah uh and you need to you need to have those moments you need to have those moments that you know make you act well ranveer i know that the source of strength for many many out there come through your work and it's so uh, appreciated thank you so much for joining us what a treat and i hope we can visit with you again down the road Sure enough. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Abhay. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much, Ranveer. And since it was recently Mother's Day in the U.S., a huge shout out to mothers everywhere, and especially to being conscious of our ultimate mother, the planet we inhabit and love. Till next time, I'm Abhay Dandekar. <laughs>